God bless all of you. It's good to see those of you who are here in the room with us. Those of you who are joining us online, you say welcome in the name of the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. It is our joy to be in God's house, to prepare our hearts through a time of worship, to prepare our hearts for his voice coming through his word because it's his word that impacts our hearts, that chisels away all the stuff, right? And that puts us in that place of being his wholly and completely. And that's what we look forward to this morning and every time that we get together. But as I said, welcome in the name of the Lord. Welcome to Hosanna Christian Fellowship. My name is Ron Love. I am a worship leader and also an elder serving here at Hosanna. And it is my joy and my pleasure to be in the house of the Lord today with you. Absolutely. To come before you and just share what the Lord has put on my heart this morning to share with you and just hope (laughs) that he speaks to you. So what we're going to be sharing today uh, is this study that I've entitled Diamond in the Rough. And this, this message that I need to share with you, it was born out of uh, some events that recently happened in my own life. And so I want to begin this morning by sharing with you uh, what actually happened to me just a few weeks ago. I've been married for over 30 years to my wonderful wife, Debbie. Yeah. (laughs) And in those 30 years, I really haven't taken off my wedding band uh, at all, right? I mean, maybe once or twice, but I've worn that wedding band um, every single day, all the time, never taken it off. And as you can see, it is not on my hand. So, 30 years of marriage, as you can imagine, right? not only my band, but also my wife's band, was a little uh, worn. And so uh, back earlier in the year, we went ahead and we went to a jeweler and we started looking at uh, new wedding bands for for Debbie um, and found this beautiful, beautiful uh, set that just complements her beauty, right? So... We're in, the jewel, we're in the jeweler's store, and, and the guy is the, he's eyeing my wedding band, right? And of course, he's like, well, can I see that? I'm like, sure. So I take off my wedding band, I hand it to him, and he's like, yeah, you know, this needs a lot of work. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, I've been wearing it for 30 years, of course. Needs a lot of work. He says, yeah, needs a lot of gold. I'm like, yeah, I know that too. And he says, you know, why don't you just get a new ring? And I'm, and I'm like, I, I don't want to get a new ring, right? So for me, I, you know, it's different for everybody, but for me, that's my wedding band. I mean, it's my wedding band. And so I don't have a real big desire to, to switch it out or anything like that. So I'm thinking, okay, yeah, maybe we can get it fixed at some point. Not today. We just made a major purchase. So we'll, we'll think about that. And the, the guy says, he's looking at it, and he says, you need to do something, and you probably should do it really quick because you're going to lose a diamond. He said, the settings on here, I mean, they're worn, right? So just be careful, you know. But yeah, that's my, 
my advice to you is, is make, that, make that change as soon as you can. And I'm like, okay, great, filed that away, as guys normally do, and just went about you know, my business. So anyway, roll forward months later, I'm sitting in my office, and my sister happens to be there, and I'm, I'm talking to her about something, and I'm always playing with something on my desk or with, with my hands, and I happen to look down um, at my hand, which is on my desk, and I, I notice that there's something wrong with my, my ring, right? And I think that maybe there's just, you know, something, you know, got, got on it, like a spot of ink or something like that. And so she's talking away, and I'm fiddling with it, and I'm, you know, trying to, to rub off the spot, right? And that spot is not rubbing off at all, you know? So I'm like, I take it off, and you have to understand, I, I wear bifocals, and any of you, of you who wear bifocals, you probably have experienced this as well. They're terrible. Like, I can't see anything, right? Not when I really need to see it, and I definitely can't see anything really up close. So I'm, I'm looking at this, the, this ring and stuff like that, and I'm getting closer and closer and closer to it, and I realize that there isn't a spot on my ring. One of the diamonds is actually missing. And so I'm seeing the black hole that's there. And I'm like, oh my. It's like, I'm thinking all those months back, the guy was right and I didn't do anything about it. And so I'm thinking and I'm kind of like looking around and I tell my sister and I'm like, oh, I, you know, she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, I can't, it looks like I lost a diamond. And so immediately, you know, she being my sister, if you know Becky, she drops to the floor, and she's looking all over the floor, and you know, I'm looking around my desk, and in my chair, and on my desk, and all that, and I mean, it just hits me, right, at some point. It's like, this is a fool's errand, <laughs> because I have no idea when that diamond came out. None at all. It could be anywhere. Not only anywhere in my office, it could be anywhere in this building, it could be in the parking lot, it could be in my car, it could be at home, it could be at the grocery store. It could, I mean, and just going through all the places over all the, the last at least week or day even of where this could have come out, right? And so I'm like, uh, this, is just, this is just nuts. I mean, I, it, it's going to be a miracle to, to find this. There's just no way, right? And so I know that in my heart, and I kind of try to get settled in that, but you know, I'm still looking, right? Everywhere I go, my eyes are glued to the ground, just kind of looking, trying to find out what happened to, to this lost diamond. So I put out an email to everybody, just for the heck of it. <laughs> and it's like, hey guys, have you seen anything sparkling on the ground? Don't discount it, pick it up. I lost a diamond out of my wedding ring. So I work for Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort calls me right away, right? And he's like, he says, oh, I can't believe you lost that. It's like, uh, what can we do? Because, I mean, maybe it got vacuumed up. He says, I'll be right down. We'll come down. We'll open up the vacuum cleaner bags. We'll start looking for this diamond and things like that. I'm like, I'm like Ray, I said, this is, this is a small diamond. I said, I mean, yeah, we could do that. I said, but we'll, we'll never find it. We'll just, we'll never find it. I said, but I'm okay with that. Over my life, God has brought me to that place where I have to be okay with things, right? Because all the things are his. And so I just quickly turn to that. 
And just like Ray, it's all right. I said, the ring is God's, the diamond is God's. I'm not worried about it. I said, we'll get it fixed, you know. Um, I don't want a new ring, but I'll, I'll get it fixed. I said, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. And so there it was, settled in my heart, that it's all God's, and I don't have to worry about it. And I felt very comforted in that, and just ready to, to move on and make other decisions about the rest of the day and, and the things that needed to be accomplished. And I was so thankful that I was in that place and for what God had already brought me through in my life to get me to that place. And so for me, the lost diamond was lost. And that was okay. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke 15. And in Luke 15, we find three very well-known parables It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. My prayer this morning is that as we go over this this well-worn road of seeing what the scriptures have to say in this particular section of Luke 15, that you'll hear these things with new ears and that you'll be ready to receive it. And that's always my prayer for you, but especially today. So before we do that, it is our joy to come into the house of the Lord and to begin with thanksgiving and praise and worship before the Lord our God. It sets our hearts right. It puts us in the right attitude. We ask that the Spirit would come and that he would fill us as we worship God in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And that puts us in that perspective of having open ears, having an open heart, and ready to receive what the Lord has said. So let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and give all thanks and glory and honor to the one who is worthy. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, God. And thank you that you have brought us to a a place and a house where we have been taught the word of God over and over and over again. That we have become students of your word and desire to hear and know your voice. And even this morning, God, when we're looking at a portion of your word that we have looked at many times, we know that you are alive and your word is alive and you have something to say to us, your church, your bride this morning. And so, God, we wait on you. And we are so thankful. And as we begin, God, we want to focus on you and you alone so that we might have you in the forefront of our minds and our hearts. So that everything else that happens this morning would flow from that, a worship of you. God, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned um, in the intro this morning, 
Uh, we're going to be looking at the parables in Luke 15 today. And so, as, as you always should, instead of just talking about them, it's important that you go through and you actually read them. It gives you context and it tells you uh, what the scene is, who's there, who's being talked to, and everything. So join me now. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 15 and follow along as, as I read. And for those of you who are keeping score this morning, uh, I happen to be using the New American Standard Bible today, so it might be a little different maybe than what you're reading, um, but it's all there. You know. So join with me as we read. Luke 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, Jesus, to listen to him, Jesus. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the whole house and search carefully until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11. And then he said, A man has two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out uh, to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. You know, as you read through, as I said, one of the the main functions of going through and rereading the scripture itself, right, is to see the actual context and to see what the whole scene is. And what I find interesting when I'm studying and I'm doing that was that we actually call these stories by the main device within the story, right? So, for instance, we call it the lost sheep. We call it the lost coin, and we call the parable the lost son. And to be sure, Jesus is speaking about those lost things, but who is Jesus speaking to? Well, you go all the way back to the beginning, right? So the scene is set, and it says right there at the very beginning, I'm sorry, I closed my Bible. Uh, It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then in verse 3, Jesus, or it says, So he told them this parable. Who's the them? The Pharisees and scribes, right? Now, I mean, is that really important? Well, yes, (laughs) it actually is. Because while Jesus is speaking to the whole crowd, of course, I mean, you know that the parables within Jesus' teaching hold significant to anyone who hears them. There is always something there that can be derived from them, a lesson that needs to be learned, a truth about God that needs to be learned. And so as a hearer, we need to hear that, of course. But Jesus always has a purpose, and the purpose in this is to speak to the scribes and the Pharisees. The tax collectors, the sinners, the people who are there, the people that the scribes and the Pharisees were not wanting to associate with because they were unclean, not like them, right? But they were unclean. The tax collectors and sinners would easily identify themselves as the lost and the wayward in the parables. The people who wouldn't see themselves as easily were the Pharisees. And so the actual subjects of the stories are the shepherd, the woman, and the father. Because that's who Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees how they should be acting, right? 
And you can see this because as he, as he goes on and he's talking about first the lost sheep, in verse 4 of Luke um, chapter 15, 4, it says, which of you wouldn't do this? Right? Jesus is showing the scribes and the Pharisees ex- uh, examples of how to act and react towards the lost and the wayward. The correct way to do that. And who is our ultimate example? Jesus, God, right? So he's using that example, that ultimate example, to show the way. That example is God himself. He is the shepherd. We see that in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's like the mother hen who longs to gather her brood under her wings. That's Jesus in Luke 13, 34. And of course, he is God the Father. And there is none like him. So in looking at the parables from this perspective, and as I'm studying, there are four things. Four things that... I want you to be able to see and what I believe the parables reveal about God. And these are the things that I want you to focus on. One, God knows you. Two, God treasures you. Three, God sees you. And four, God lifts you, bears you, and rejoices over you. Let's hit the first one. God knows you. You know, when you're looking at the parables, and especially the very first one, right, the parable of the shepherd and the lost sheep, right, there's a question that that just really, I mean, should nag at you, right, just thinking about reality and and how things actually work, right? And that is, how in the world did the shepherd know (laughs) that one sheep was missing, right? One out of a hundred. I mean, he's out on the field, he's looking there, and I mean, does a shepherd necessarily look and say, oh, one's missing, now, I get it, there are ways to, to do that if they're counting them in as the, the sheep are coming out, but none of that's really relayed. And it's, to me, it's just a, it's a funny thing that sticks out. It's like he notices that one out of 100 is gone, right? And it's not only that, though. It's like he knows which one is gone, right? Can you tell one sheep from another? I mean, it's a white fluff of cotton, I mean... That's, that's what it is. I mean, but those are definitely two things that come up. When you look at the parable of the, lost, the woman in the lost coin, how does she know which coin is missing? Right? I, I, to me, immediately, I think of how I was a kid. You know, my, my dad was a stickler for loose change being in the wrong place, right? I don't know if you've had, had a dad like this and all that, but one, it was a, a, an offense 
to see change laying around, say, on your dresser or something like that. I mean, he was always looking in our room and he'd be like, you know, how, why isn't that money doing work? You know, it's like, you got to do something. Like that. Put that in the bank. Put that in your piggy bank or whatever. Don't just leave it laying out. And then also, God forbid that there be, you know, a nickel on the ground. I mean, you would never hear the end of it if that nickel was on the ground, right? It's like he knew. Yeah, so my dad would know. But me as a kid, I would have no idea. It's like, oh, you don't have five cents. It's like, oh, really? Let me check in my pocket. Oh, well, I don't know. Not only wouldn't I be fully aware of what was in my pocket, but I wouldn't know that this particular nickel, you know, was gone or whatever. So I find that fascinating. And then when we look at the parable of the father and the lost son, it gets a bit more complicated because as you can see in the parables, it's not just a quick story that Jesus relates. He takes the time to tell a very specific, much longer story with a much broader you know, message and things in that message. And so it's not just, it's not as simple as saying, well, how does the father know that his son is missing? I mean, come on. But really what's going on in that is, how does the father decide how to treat his son? Right? And which son? But God knows you. And so if we look at the parables through that context, we don't find that these are so questionable or fascinating things to consider. God would know which sheep was missing. God would know what coin was missing. God would know his son. And we see that in Psalm 39. If you want to turn to that with me, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Psalm 39, verse 1. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you knew it all. You have encircled me behind and in front, and you placed your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot comprehend it. And then going down to verse 13 of Psalm 139, for you have created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as of yet... There was not one of them. How well does God know you? He knew you before you were. He didn't have an idea of you. He knew you. He knew every word you were ever going to say. He knew every thought you were going to have. He knew every single day what was going to happen to you 
because he's your creator. And he knows you. We also see this in Jesus speaking to his own disciples in Luke 12. In Luke 12, verse 6, Jesus makes this comment and he says, Are five sparrows not sold for two asaria? Or let's say two pennies, right? Five sparrows sold for two pennies. And yet, not one of them has gone unnoticed in the sight of God. But even the hairs on your head are all counted. Do not fear, for you are more valuable than a great number of sparrows. I love that verse because it, it, to me, I, I hear Jesus being funny, right? It's like he's talking about sparrows. He's telling you how, how you know, worthless they are, right? They don't count for much, but God sees them. God is concerned about them. A sparrow, right? In comparison to a sparrow, God counts all the hairs on your head and knows that number. So, okay, I suppose you're worth them more than a few sparrows. Tongue in cheek, sure, but the truth of the matter is there. God knows you. How well do you think he knows you? Everything. Absolutely everything. It is nothing to him to pick you out of all the stars in the sky. That is how well he knows his creation. So, number one, God knows you. Number two, God treasures you. You know, the actions, of the, first, the actions of the people in the first two parables make this very plain. The shepherd drops everything to search for the lost sheep until it is found, right? The woman cleans and searches relentlessly until the coin is found. And the father, it says he stood watch until his son came home. Again, we can go back to Psalm 139. In verse 17, Psalm 139 says, How precious also are your thoughts for me, O God. And this is David speaking. How vast is the sum of them. Verse 18, Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. And the ultimate proof, of course, of how treasured, it, how treasured uh, you are is in the fact that Jesus gave his life as payment for your sin. The payment may end with the cross, but the price was so much more. I mean, have you ever stopped, I mean, really stopped to ask yourself, why did Jesus risk the recovery mission for us? I think sometimes we, we don't allow ourselves to just stop everything. To, to, as it says in Psalm, to say la, 
to just pause and wait on the Lord. And I think that we need to do that more because when we ask ourselves this vital question, why did God, why did Jesus risk it all for us? I think if you stop and you consider it, not only do you find that there is one answer, and that answer is his love for you. We see that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Not only do we see and know that, but when we stop and really consider what that act of submission to the Father really entailed, when we stop and consider who he is doing that for. Me. You. If we stop and consider who I am and who you are, I don't know about you, but that leaves me undone. I know me. I really know me. Why in the world would God give up everything for me? I may rank above a sparrow, but let me tell you, not by much. More like a worm, right? I know me. But the king of glory, Jesus, the lamb, yes, but the Son of God, the Lion of Judah. He put off his holiness, came to earth and became like me, a human. Can you imagine? And I would say we have a hard time imagining that, but you should because that changes everything. The king of glory took off that majestic robe and put on this shell of a man and then submitted himself to everything in his life and then submitted himself to the ultimate work of the Father and that was to have him die in my place to shed his blood for me. I am undone when I think of that. And I think that that's something that we need to do more. We need to be honest with what is really going on here in our relationship with the Lord, who he is and who I am in comparison and the work that he has done and the work that he is doing and the provision of the Spirit of God and all of this to adopt me into his family to be his son, his daughter is a miraculous thing that you cannot even comprehend. I mean, that's exactly what David was saying before when he's talking about how precious are the thoughts of God of me and how vast is the sum of them And were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. 
and I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. That idea is too high for me to understand. But I would encourage you to do whatever you can to start doing that more. It helps put things into perspective, right? That's why when we begin and we gather together on Sundays, we begin with, yes, the Word of God and prepare for that. But corporately, what we do is we begin with worshiping God because he's first. And if we change our perspective and put off all the cares of this world, right, when we come into his sanctuary and our focus becomes God, then our minds then are aligned with how things really should be. And then the things that he reveals to us are given to us with a greater understanding of how all this is actually pulling together and how it all works and what my responsibility is to him as I worship him, as I give my life to him, as I live a worship life 24-7 for him. Why? Because I'm trying to earn my salvation? No. I do it because he is God and he is worthy. And that is how it should be. God treasures you. You know, we go continue on um, uh, in his word then. And we continue on in the story and we get to point three. And point three is that God sees you. Now, I'm gonna confess right, right away. This one point, it's not real easy to see in the parables, in the scripture. Yes, you have to kind of put yourself in the place of the different characters in the story to be able to see how this one comes together. And I promise you that in your life, the things that have happened, the things that have happened to me, they do bear this out, that God sees you in the way that I, that I want to share with you. So, but I'm gonna, and I'll circle back to that in a bit, but I will say this, that we do see in the parables, in the first two parables, we do see that neither the shepherd nor the woman search aimlessly and haphazardly, right? So the story is very simple. It doesn't give a lot of detail uh, when we're talking about the shepherd, but his actions are very direct and succinct in the this, in this story. He leaves the 99 and he goes, right? It doesn't say he searched here and he searched there and he searched there and didn't know, you know, where until miraculously he found it. No, it says he goes and when he found him. To me, the brevity of the, of the story lends itself to the fact that the shepherd sees the sheep. He knows the sheep well. Right? When I say sees, I don't mean, you know, sees as this is what the, 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 in this case, the lamb looks like so much, but he sees the shepherd, much in the way that we say he knew, but, but he sees the lamb. He knows where the lamb is going to go. He, he sees the, the desires of the lamb, right? So maybe this lamb is going off and for whatever reason, this lamb likes to get really close to the cliff down at the end of the pasture, right? And it's a habit of his and, and whatnot. The, the shepherd knows that. He sees the intent of the sheep. 
you know, or maybe he likes going into the rocky caves and whatnot, you know. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that the shepherd knows, right? And so he goes after him, and it's, it's just, that is the action that happens. The same thing in the story of the woman looking for the coin. She obviously knows it's in her house. It doesn't say she went and searched everywhere. No, it says she went and she looked and searched everywhere within her house, right? I mean, she cleaned that thing top to bottom, right, to find the coin that she knew was there, right? It's like, it reminds me of um, uh, the, an old episode of, I think it was the, the Cosby Show or whatever, and, and the, the mom in the Cosby Show in this particular episode, she uh, put some money out on a counter right, to pay the grocery bill or whatever, right? So the money's on the counter. Counter, The youngest kid, I think it was Rudy, um, she comes in and, and she wants to buy this ridiculous shirt that lights up or whatever. And so um, she doesn't have the money and she doesn't want to ask anybody for the money. She sees the money. She knows it's the money that her mom put there, but she takes it anyway she takes the money, whatever. The mom comes back down to pay the, the grocery bill, and the guy's there delivering the groceries. She turns to the counter, the money's not there, right? She goes bananas, right? Because she knew she put the money there. She knew where it was, right? But she can't find it. And then so she's searching the whole house all over, just digging and everything. There's stuff flying all over the place. She's looking for this money that she knows is in the house, just going crazy. And everybody thinks that she's absolutely nuts. That, you know, no, no, maybe you didn't put it there and all that. She's like, no, 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 no. I know it's here, right? And so finally what happens in the end is Rudy confesses to her mom, who at this time the house is in a shambles because everything's torn apart. She tells her mom, Mom, I, I took it, I, I bought it to get this shirt. And the mom is like, Aha, I knew it. Thank you, thank you. Grabs her daughter, is hugging her and all that. And, and they're just like, Well, what? I mean, why? Okay, great. So glad you're happy about it. And she's like, No, I'm not happy about it, but I'm happy I'm not crazy. Right? <laughs> I am not crazy. You know, this is how this, this woman looking for the coin possibly is, right? She knows it's in the house. So that's where she's looking. She's not looking anywhere else. And they both, uh, uh, and they both know when they find what they've lost, right? So the shepherd, again, I mean, he knows where to look. He goes and he's looking and he sees the sheep. The important thing about it is that in, in, the, in the parable it says, and when he found it, right? It's not, and when he found a sheep to replace the one that was lost. No, it's when he found it. When the woman is looking for the coin, it doesn't say, and when she found another coin to replace the one that was lost. No. What does it say? When she found it, she knew that they had found the sheep and the coin. Ultimately, though, as I said at the beginning, we're talking about these people being examples of God. And so I want to just expand on that for a minute and just show you that there are, there are even more examples of this. And we can find, readily find two more that are in the New Testament. The first one is uh, the woman at the well, right? 
the woman at the well in John chapter four. This is when Jesus is in Samaria and the disciples go off, I think it's to find bread or something, and Jesus is alone at the well and the woman from Samaria comes and you know, they have this conversation about water, right? The, the beautiful thing about this story is that as Jesus is talking to her, not about just water, but about living water, the living water, and that's what she should be asking for, Jesus reveals to her things about herself that nobody knows, certainly not a man that she's talking to at the well. How is that possible? Well, because it's God. She's talking to God, and God sees her, has seen everything that she's ever done. He knows that not only has she been married several times before, but the man that she's married to right now is not her husband. He knows, he sees, and he knows. And then the other uh, story is uh, about the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And when he's talking to this man, it's revealed in uh, John chapter five that Jesus knew already that this man had been sick uh, and in this condition for I think it was 38 years. God sees and he knows, right? And we see again this in Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, chapter 13, I mean, sorry, Psalm 33, verse 13 and 14, it says, the Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of mankind. From his dwelling place, he looks out and on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works, he sees us all. And in seeing, he knows us intimately. He knows us all. You know, when you're going about your, your day and your life, and you have this trial, this circumstance, this illness, this uh, situation in your family, when you have these things that are going on, these trials, you know, sometimes we often find ourselves saying, nobody knows. Nobody really knows what's here, what's going on. But I'm here to tell you that there is one who knows. And he sees you, really sees you, and knows you. Number four, God lifts you, bears you, and rejoices over you. Now, this last one is really easy <laughs> to see, right? Because in all three parables, that's exactly what it says, you know, in, in each of the stories. The shepherd, it says, he picks up his lost sheep, he places them on his shoulders and rejoices and calls others to rejoice with him. The woman, she picks up the lost coin, she restores it to her place upon her and rejoices and calls others to rejoice with her. And then the father puts his arms around his son, places a robe of honor on him and rejoices and calls others to rejoice with him. In Psalm 40, David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the mud 
and he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and will trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. There is no one like our God, right? He is the one who lifts you up. He is the one who bears you. He is the one who is rejoicing over you. So let me pull all this together for you. The story that I told you at the beginning about the diamond, right? So obviously, it didn't end there. And if you joined us late, either go back to the beginning and hear the beginning of the story, or let me sum up for you real quick, okay? Wedding ring, diamond got lost, have no idea where it is. I'm okay with it. That was the story in a nutshell. But that's not where the story ends, right? So here we are. I get to that place, and I feel okay. I'm not happy about it, right? By no means am I happy about it. Am I just letting it go, meaning that I'm not going to do anything about it? No, absolutely not, right? I'm making plans. I'm thinking, okay, well, I can take it in, and I can get the diamond replaced and then get my ring fixed at the same time. Of course, I'm doing all that, right? But I'm okay with it. My spirit is okay with the fact. I'm not, you know, just killing myself because I lost, you know, this diamond and I've got to get it and the whole world's going to come crashing down. That's not what hap- what's happening. You know, but I am obviously concerned. But I'm not really thinking about it. It's not consuming my time anymore. I'm not looking for that diamond anymore. Right? So flash forward, it's it's probably about 4 days later. I'm I get up, it's a Sunday morning, and my routine on Sunday mornings is I get up a little bit before everybody else, um, and I, I got to print out our, our, our order of service for the guys on the worship team um, in the sound um, and media areas. So I'm working on that, and so what I'll do is I'll get my laptop, and I'll, I'll come into the, the living room, and I'll set up a, a TV tray. I'll sit on the couch, and you know I'll, I'll get that all set up, and uh, get that done, and but in between, you know, I'm doing other things to get ready. So that Sunday was not any different than any other Sunday. I get up, shower, get dressed, start to get ready, get my laptop, you know, get put it in the living room, and I mean, I'm I'm just I'm going back and forth to the couch like a hundred times it seems like you know more than than normal. So much so that I'm just kind of like, uh, is this day ever going to end? You know, and it's only seven o'clock in the morning. <coughs> So I do all that, going back and forth. The dogs are up. You know, we have two very large dogs. I mean, I, th- I think our golden retriever, retriever Cooper, is probably over 100 pounds. I mean, he's huge, you know. Um, and, I mean, that tail, it's like a, you know, a, a T-Rex tail, you know, the way that it's wagging and hitting everything and whatnot. You've got to be careful where you put your cup of coffee because, you know, it could go flying at any moment. And then our other, our other dog, um, uh, Jackson, um, he's an interesting dog. But, you know, he's, he's big also. And, and they just, I mean, they're going along. They can't, obviously, you, if anybody who has dogs, especially a golden retriever, you know that a golden retriever has to be everywhere you are, right? So you get up, he gets up. You go to the kitchen, he goes to the kitchen. You know, it's like, okay, what are we doing here now, Dad? 
you know. I mean, everywhere we go, you know. So he, they're moving back and forth with me. Nobody's relaxing or anything. Finally, <clears throat> I sit down. I'm on the couch, and I'm typing away. I type the list and, and whatnot. And it, we have um, wood laminate floors, okay? Um, and so what you mostly see is all the, the, the golden glitter, right? The dog hair all over the place, right? So I'm not surprised to see that all over the floor. And when you have two dogs that are primarily indoor dogs, you know, that have a dog door, and so they're constantly going back and forth, I mean, who knows what they drag in all the time, right? It's like, it's ridiculous how much stuff can end up on the floor, you know, by the, the next morning. But I'm sitting there, and for, I, I kid you not, for no reason... I happen to look down at this spot on the floor. Now, this is the spot where my dog Cooper lies all the time, all the time, right? If I'm sitting on the couch there, he's there because he wants to be pet, and then he just kind of camps out there and stuff. Well, he's not there for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. So I look over, and I look over at this one spot, And I look down, and I say, self, that's your diamond. I can't tell you how I knew that was my diamond, but I knew it was my diamond. And I wish I had a picture of it because as I'm reaching down to check it out for real and see if it is, I can't see it, as I told you. I mean, I got my glasses on. I can't see any better without my glasses. You know, I can't get the definition of it. So, but I'm, I'm touching it, trying to pick it up. It's so small, right? So insignificant. But it's a diamond, right? I can tell, it's, it's just, it doesn't feel like anything else. It could be a stone that one of the dogs carried in for all I know, right? But it doesn't feel that way. A diamond, for those of you who may not know, feels like a diamond, right? And I'm like, yeah. And then I kind of turned it over and like, yeah, there's the point. I said, I, that's my diamond. And so I pick it up, and I still don't believe it, right? I'm still having a hard time, and I try to get my phone out, and I'm trying to magnify it, and it, but it won't focus, I just, so I can't, I still can't see it. But I am excited because I know it is my diamond, right? So I go in to, to Debbie, and I'm like, Deb, I think I found my diamond, but I can't tell. She's like, what do you mean you can't tell? I said, well, I'm trying to look at it, but I can't. I can't see it. I, I can't tell for sure that, it, that it's it. So, of course, she comes in. She takes one quick glance in and goes, yep, that's it, right? Because she can see perfectly. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's right. And yet one other gift that God has given me through my wife, the gift of sight. So, so she says, yeah, that's, that's your diamond. And then she leaves, right, to finish getting ready. And I'm just standing there. And I'm like, hey, 
I mean, is anybody, I, that, 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 why am I the only one excited about this, <laughs> right? This is my diamond, right? And it's like, I'm sure that the, on some level, Debbie's kind of like, yeah, 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 fine, get ready to go, we're gonna be late, you know? <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm in awe at this moment, right? This diamond that has been missing for at least four days just happened to be on the floor, just when I happened to be on the couch, just when I happened to look down, I saw it. Rarely are there just happens to be scenarios, right? And so, as I should, I'm looking at this going, God, obviously, there's something that you're trying to show me here, right? And so all the things that have been happening over the past few days start coming to my mind, right? The, it's no accident that, you know, a week before I had been listening um, on the radio and I just happened to catch a part of a sermon on the radio of a pastor who's talking about the sheep and he made that wild comment about how, how does a shepherd know that one shepherd is missing, right? And I thought that that was funny, and I filed that away, right? How did that just happen? You know, how did I have all this circumstance with a lost dime, diamond and being settled and going, there's never in a million years that I would ever know it if I saw it, and yet that's what happened, right? So all these things are coming to mind, and I'm like, God, what, what is it that you're trying to show me beyond the obvious, you know? that he can do anything, but I want to know. I want to know. And he ever so gently, as he often does, says to me, just like you looked at that diamond on the ground and you knew it was a diamond, I know you. Just like you looked at that diamond on the ground, I see you. And I'm like, whoa. Because what you don't know is that this has been a very trying year, a very trying year in that there's been opportunity for a lot of growth, a lot of faith walking, a lot of things like that. And that has been a constant uh, journey with me and the Lord this whole year. And that is a question that I have asked of him several times during the course of this year is, God, do, do you know? Do you see it? You know, this is where I'm at. God help. Right? And me getting that diamond back and seeing it and knowing it just as he sees me and knows me is confirmation of everything that he had already been telling me the whole year. I know you. I see you. And not only had I done that in the past, I am going to do that every single day for I know all your days. And I'm like, oh, praise God. That, that, that is amazing. God... Thank you. Quite an, extraordinary, quite an extraordinary way to get the point across to me. But yes, even so, 
Thank you, God. Right? Then what else is there? God, there's got to be something else. I mean, it can't all be about me. (laughs) And he very again, very gently said, no, I want you to go back and I want you to look at those parables. And I want you to be able to tell your story, your testimony of what is going on and what happened in this instance with this diamond. And I want you to share that with other people because other people have that same need because other people ask that same question all the time. God, do you see me? Do you know me? Just like the the lost and the wayward in the story. Right? Right? And so I'm here to tell you that. God knows everything, and he knows you. He knows you, and he loves you and cares for you. He treasures you. He bears you up. He's the one who's lifted you up, and he's the one who rejoices over you especially when you come to him in repentance. And that's the message that I want to give to those of you who are the lost and the wayward. All those things that you are going through in your life, God is there. Not only does he see it, he is there with you. Not only does he see it, he often is the one walking you through that. He's the one who's lifted you up to move you forward and he's the one who's put you on his shoulders to bear you also that you can see him in the midst of it all and realize who you are in comparison to him and then how marvelous and miraculous his actions towards you his love towards you really is and it's that kindness of his that leads you to repentance so that he can rejoice over you. Not only does he rejoice over you, he calls his friends and neighbors to rejoice with him. Boom, instant family. But he's also speaking and has called me to speak to those of you who may not be in that wayward or lost position but you're in the position of the righteous. You're in the position of of those who have already been redeemed. Why did Jesus bother telling the scribes and the Pharisees about the example of God? Yes, of course, one reason is because he's pointing out their inconsistency in their life, their, their hypocrisy in their life, but he's not doing that to be mean. No, he's doing it to instruct Right, because even for the scribe and the Pharisee, there's hope. There's hope of repentance and a turning around and then being an imitator of God as we should be. You know that saying that we're we are being hypocrites. What I'm saying is is that sometimes we lose sight of how we're supposed to be treating the lost and the wayward. 
where they are not our concern. But I am here to tell you, if we're going to be an imitator of God, especially as proven out in the parables that we've just gone through, they are our concern. And not just at the moment, they're our concern the whole time because they're lost. And until they are no longer lost, that is our concern if we're to be imitators of God. And so to you, my encouragement is just that. When you read and you go through, especially these parables, and you reread them today, look at them from that that perspective. Don't think that, well, God's just talking to Pharisees and scribes. No, God is talking to you because he's calling all of us to be imitators of God. The shepherd is exactly how we need to act and treat others. The woman with the lost coin is exactly how we need to pursue the lost. And the father is exactly how we need to treat those who also have been lost as well. We have to remember what the Lord has done and what he's doing in order to live this life and in order to get to the point where we are rejoicing over the repentance of the lost and the wayward and calling others to rejoice with us to spread that good news about what God is doing and how he is alive today and how he's at work within your life as you're doing the work that he's called you to do as his child and in the life of this church as this church moves forward and is doing the work that he has called his bride to do. Speak it, rejoice over it, and call others to rejoice with you. What we want is for all to hear and that we would be imitators of Christ to the world and to love one another as Christ has loved us. That is the ultimate command that he's given us, right? This is how we bind that up into action. And so the word that was given to me, I give to you, and that is this. Oh, that my people would speak with their mouths and do with their hands which they have received and know in their hearts. This is not an easy call, but we can do all things through Christ Jesus, amen? Because he is the one who strengthens us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for one, the call to repentance. And so, Lord, anybody who is in that place of being lost or wayward, Lord, let them know that you are the one who sees them. You are the one who knows them, the one who cherishes them, treasures them, and you are the one who can lift them up, bear them, and then who will rejoice over them. All as they come to you in repentance. And Lord, thank you for for showing us that yes, you have put a call upon our lives and that call is to be an imitator of you. 
to be like that shepherd, that perfect shepherd, to be like that woman who searches relentlessly and to be like that father who waits at the gate until his son returns and then showers him with unearned blessing. But it's blessing that only the father can give and bestow as he restores his son. Lord, let us be those people in this life, people of action, people who love one another. God, that all begins with understanding who you are. You are Lord God Almighty, creator of all. You are the one who is to be worshiped. You are the one who we serve. We submit our lives to you, God, in those areas where we have fallen short of doing that because we allow the cares of this world to take over the thoughts of our day. Lord, we repent of that. And Lord, we ask that you would lift us up, that you would bear us, and that you would cause us to move forward rejoicing and in joy as we begin a new life and a new commitment to be the children that you've called us to be. God, you are our all and all. Consume us, Lord. There is no one else except you, and if we keep our eyes focused on that and you, we can move forward in the paths of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.